All right, here we are. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. It's like it is really a welcome back for you because yeah. you know, in the time between the last time we recorded, you had you know scurried across the scurried. The, that's that's the, that's, pond. that's the way I like to describe my movements <laughs> pond, in right? general is as scurrying, yeah. furtive. You're a scurrying. <laughs> you are one who scurries. I'm a creepy little scurrier. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, so. <laughs> we we want to start by apologizing to all the listeners uh oh hey this is Ollie. And, well and this is scott and and by all the listeners we mean all the listeners who might be uh, <laughs> uh might be regular enough that they would attend to something as minor as what we're about to explain but no, well, there's please, two Ollie, things can... we have to apologize to for no. Yeah. No. <laughs> two things <laughs> we have to apologize to first for i'd like to apologize for my microphone <laughs> right now uh the first thing is that uh, the last episode, at least for if you're the an early downloader, um, early it came downloader. across. Yeah. So the uh, a recent episode came down as untitled. So it's like an episode or two ago. And, you know, apologies no, yeah. for that. And it's um, now called The Big Umbrella, just so you know, that would be episode yeah. 56. And that leads into two. our second problem. Right. Which we've been off with our numbering since we started season two. Like they have been like screwy. And so yeah. if you're like, hold on, is, I, is this 56? And I actually had that problem myself. I was like, we had two 56s and, you know, and it was it was a challenge. So uh, I think we've worked it out. It Jay, it was a challenge for me, too, for, um, for our tiny little brains. Yes. And so we're pretty certain that this is episode 58, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the numbers now, and I'm pretty convinced that this is episode 58. Yeah. So so, um, so hopefully it I, is. If not, we'll correct it at episode whatever the next one is numbered because we don't know because right. clearly we can't keep track. Well, I think it's p- part of the problem is that we, we were deciding whether we do season two episode whatever. And, you know, that subtraction thing, you know, mm. it's... It's like subtracting the number by 52. You know, I think that's where things went awry. Yeah. Because you and I, math isn't our strong point. (laughs) No. Yeah. After, after physics degrees with like basically an associated math degree, we we can't, we can't keep track of numbers from episode to episode. Yeah. When, when the numbers actually mean something. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That's That's the problem. (laughs) If you're just pushing numbers around on a piece of paper, we got that covered. Yeah. But (laughs) if if you want to know what year my children were born, like, I don't know, like it was in the past. Time is a construct. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a that's enough of this uh, nonsense, Scott. We should probably <laughs> let's, jump into <laughs> let's jump into the nonsense that actually constitutes the show. The nonsense they're here for, <laughs> or maybe this that is, is the nonsense. This is the nonsense you came for. Yes. Not, that's going to be the title of the episode. <laughs> not the nonsense you came for. <laughs> I already, that's I already great. got it. Yeah, not, not the nonsense you <laughs> our, came. Our work for. is done here. No, we are uh, doing a whole series of. Uh, um, episodes around inclusive practices. And we're going to start with you know, these uh, ambitious science teaching. We did an episode a handful uh, episodes ago where we, um, you know, did an overview of all of these. And, and so we're going to dig into the ambitious science teaching, which we're presenting as an inclusive practice. Um, and I think we laid out the, the rationale for that a few episodes ago. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to go through the phases. And we'll probably do the same thing with um, the other ones. Like we're going to get into some techie ones down the road a little bit um, in terms of uh, universal design for learning. And then also um, more generally like open educational movement. And um, so we'll get a little, little techie down the yeah. road. Um, 
But we'll, we'll try and find other things that have uh, three-letter acronyms and then add those to the list. So we have, you know, AST, UDL, and OER. So maybe uh, SAT, right? And ACT. Um, uh, who knows? Who knows what's possible? <laughs> OPP. Oh no, that's <laughs> oh oh wow! Throwback, awkward reference. Thank you I, very much. I, I heard that the other morning on the radio, and it was stuck <laughs> in my my brain hole all day. Well, it's, it's a great song, uh, but yet bad still. message. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's not one you want to dig we do, into. We, we are not endorsing. No, we're not endorsing. We are not down with OPP. <laughs> okay, this is definitely not the nonsense you came for, so we need to move along. Ah, uh, good times. All right, so um, if you're following along, this is uh, uh, ambitious science teaching. It has uh, you know these kind of different phases, these four phases that they, and they're not like practices. Uh, we like to think practices. of them as practices, right? Because I, I always worry about when we, you know, do something in terms of like stages that. People will like do lockstep Ooh, like, stages. No right. stages, bad. Right, or, or like this is how we, uh, you know, mechanize the, you know, the scientific method. Right, you routinize. We right. routinize it. Yeah, and and so and I th- I don't think that's um, kind of at the heart of what ambitious science teaching is all about. Right, it's no. I mean, fundamentally, when we talk about it being a responsive pedagogy, what we mean is that it 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 is designed with the agency of both the teacher and the student in mind. Right. So it's, it's meant to be guidance and how to think about teaching, not a lockstep set of recipes and routines that you just sort of mechanistically implement in your classroom, like beep orp, here I am, yeah. robot man doing science teaching. Right. Like this is, it's really, um, and I think that's one of the challenges of it, especially for, for new teachers, um, is it does, you know, all that agency comes with a lot of responsibility so that right. the, te- the teacher really has to do a lot of work and um, and it is more work. I mean, this is the thing that um, has to be said, right, is that this approach to teaching is a lot harder and requires more of the teacher than than sort of traditional practices, which is also one of the reasons it's tough to convince people to, to engage in it because it is um, it is a lot of work. Yeah, and so um... You know, we did this, you know, the, the, the whole episode last week was about, you know, eliciting student ideas. And so yes. the, the next practice is around supporting ongoing changes in student thinking. Right. And, and so that I, I'm, I'm assuming that may um, involve some discourse, but it doesn't only involve discourse, right? It involves like the teacher creating opportunities that would, and that, that em, sort of emerge from that eliciting you know, practice, right? So you have, you've elicited all these ideas. And so, and I think this is probably where the hardest part is, is coming up with either activities or, um, you know, inquiry-based things or whatever that is going to help to, you know, move students from where they were to, to, to other, you know, other places, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. Um, I think the, I mean, the fundamental question is you've spent all this time eliciting these ideas from students. So what do you do with it now? Right. And, and in, in a, in a, in a previous framework and sort of a, maybe a constructivist or, or um, you know, a, a more conceptual change sort of framework, this idea of prior knowledge would be, you know, this would be a pre-assessment, right? So this yeah. is a pre-assessment for prior knowledge. Um, and then you would use that to, you know, organize your curriculum. And and there are parallels here, but I think the differences 
uh, are also both subtle and profound again, right? So, so the purpose of this is largely for the students to think through their own ideas initially. That was the eliciting process. And now the purpose of the next part of the, of the curriculum is to provide them experiences that give them evidence um, to make claims that will help them through the reasoning of this of this process to build a model. And and I'm intentionally using those terms um, and, and in that order to some degree as well, right? So we talk about CER a lot, but um, one of the things that we talk about a lot in AST is that it's more um, ERC. So you really are starting with evidence because that's where science starts too. It doesn't start with claims. It starts with evidence. So you're collecting evidence and then you use reasoning to build claims from those evidence. Um, So, yeah. I'm sure that there are some folks that heard you drop the CRE and CER stuff. And you want to unpack that a little bit more? Because Sure. Yeah. I mean, claims, evidence, reasoning, sort of framing is something that you see not just in science, but certainly um, claims, evidence, warrant is done in English a lot. Um, But there are other modes of this sort of formalized reasoning that we do in schools and in science, it often gets talked about as claims, evidence, reasoning. Um, and one of the, one of the difficulties, one of the issues around that as a frame is um, it, it narrows our focus um, in science discourse to the very formalized final form science, which is this claims evidence reasoning, sort of like a published paper would be. So that's that's sort of what a published paper is, is sort of here's my evidence for this claim I'm making. Um, But most of science and most of science talk isn't structured that way. It is much more about the evidence and about sentence making, and it's not about this formalized claims evidence reasoning. So that plays a role um, and it's an important framing of how to how to formalize your thinking but a lot of what we want to focus on in science classrooms is making sense of of experience and that's really about what this middle bit is focused on which is give teachers providing students experiences um with with sort of smaller pieces of the phenomenon that are structured to help them think about aspects of the phenomenon that they can then use that experience as evidence to build towards a, a model. And there, there's a lot in there, and we'll unpack what all that means. But but claims evidence reasoning is sort of what you do at the end. So so you can do that at the end of each activity. You can do that at the end of multiple activities. But it's not. But the but the focus is on this evidence. So that's why the ERC reframing is um, sort of an important one is that you really want to focus on how does this thing that you're doing, how does this experience you're having, how does it help you bring evidence to bear on this original problem that we had, this original phenomenon? Yeah. So it's all around collecting evidence or, or making observations and using that stuff to, to build, you know, claims. That's right. So, so the claims are the reasoning and the claims are the thinking that students do about this evidence. Like what is, what does this evidence tell us? What does it help us understand about this larger phenomenon? And so this middle bit of, of AST, this sort of second of the three enactment practices, right? So the first one is eliciting. The second one is this supporting ongoing thinking. And, and this one is the part that looks most like traditional science teaching in the sense it's it has a lot of lab type right. thing and that's what yeah. i was gonna i was gonna actually jump in at one point with with saying look i already do this i already do labs and i think that's probably what a lot of teachers are going to say but yeah. i think it's you know what is the purpose of the labs and like mm-hmm. like because i think that 
you know, there's a, and, I, and I've done laps like this. So I, I want to make sure that I'm not passing judgment that, or anybody thinks that I'm passing judgment, but you know, there's confirmation labs like, okay, yeah. you know, we've, we've done this and voila, we've proved, we've calculated right. the coefficient of friction because we right. use this inclined plane. Oh, look at us. And yeah. I've, you know, taught, I've taught you what it is first. And right. now we're going to go do a lab with it where you see that it's true. Right. Um, and then, and then, and it's, it's us. like really trying to convince the students that, you know, science is real or that science right. is meaningful. It's like, and, you know, if the number is comes, you know, like if we measure the coefficient of friction of wood, right. And we mm-hmm. can look in the big book of, you know, coefficients, coefficients. Of friction, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then big we go, book. look at the big book, huh? you know, it's, I had to buy, it. It. So I had to right. buy several of those big books. Right. Yeah. Right. Big books. <laughs> and, and you look at that and you go, okay, well it's within, you know, X percent. We're, we're in good shape. You know, yeah. that's experimental error done, yeah. you know, and Oof, that's a whole, yeah. we could do a whole episode on experimental error. Put that in the notes. It'll okay. Keep, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll put that in the notes. <laughs> coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> Contain your excitement. Yeah. Experimental error is <laughs> coming down the pipe. Yes. <laughs> Look, people are like, oh, 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 I wonder when that'll be. I wonder if they'll get the episode number right when they do it. <laughs> yes. Probably not. No, probably not. No. 63. Yeah, but this is, this is very different than that. This is very yes. different than those con- confirmatory labs, which, you know, is, is a thing, right? We all like, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing, you know? Um, yeah, so well, that's that's the hands-on science, right? It's the activity mania. It's the this is what separates science from other things is uh, students get to get their hands on things, but it, it they don't think about it, right? So this is like the thing that I brought up before that I'll mention again is this idea of like explanatory quotient, right? So what percentage of the time are you explaining as the teacher versus how much time are the kids doing the explaining? And the and the the better that is, the better that ratio is, the more that kids are doing the explaining, the better you're doing your job, right? Because that is where the learning happens is when the kids are trying to explain the thing. And this is why the confirmatory lab is, is run so counter to this because you've already explained it to them before they do the lab. So there's really, there's no room for thinking because the answer is, is already been given. And so students can't think about it. Even if, even if you, fiddle with the procedure to make it quote unquote inquiry, right? You, you've already done, you've already done the disservice of teaching them the thing that they're, they're uh, uncovering with this lab. And, and it's just not, it's not going to work. It can't work. And so, and they see it as a sham, right? They understand that they're not actually being asked to think they're, they're being asked to follow a procedure and, th- right. and therefore it's, it doesn't even have the effect that you want it to have, which is that it's going to engage students with science ideas. It just is, it, it's, they're just plotting through a different thing, right? So instead of plotting through taking notes, now they're plotting through this lab that you've designed for them. And you know, they're like, I mean, maybe if stuff blows up or catches fire, that'll be, you know, they'll, they'll have something to talk about at lunch. But otherwise, it's like, yeah, we roll carts down a ramp. I mean, phew. it's exciting. It's, it's a ramp. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, a no, ramp. We, we don't call it a ramp. It's an no, inclined plane. An inclined plane. And then we have photo gates so that we can yes. measure with high degrees of accuracy these little frictionless carts. <sighs> So anyway, <laughs> you're exhausted from that. Just I'm just thinking about it. it makes me both exhausted and angry simultaneously. So anyway, these 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 middle bits. So basically, the, if we saw the curriculum as an arc, eliciting is the beginning where we get students' ideas out on the table, and then all this middle section of the curriculum is really helping them make their ideas 
better thought out, more evidence-based and more robust and productive with the idea that they finish and, and bring it all together. And we'll talk about that, you know, in the next episode, but these, but these, the other thing to know is, you know, that going back to these confirmatory labs, that they are a thing often when I, when teachers redesign curriculum from an AST perspective, they do actually take their old labs and re reuse them. So right. the, so the practice that the, the thing that the students are doing in the lab doesn't have to be, have to be thrown away because it can be useful, but it has to be entirely reframed. Right. And so that's the tricky bit is that it, you can't just take the lab and slap it in the middle and then assume it's going to work. Like it, it, there's a reframing and sometimes those labs go away because they don't help support aspects of the explanation. And then that's just a thing that you have to deal with and you have to find new activities or experiences for them to to think through. So, so let's, let's, uh, I, I, we didn't really plan to do this, um, but let, let's take this um, inclined plane lab thing. Ooh. And, and like, cause so what we, what I would do with this is, you know, I'd give them a bunch of different materials that they could find in the big book, right. The coefficients mm-hmm. of friction. And then they would, you know, take blocks and cover it with, you know, wax paper stuff. and yeah. stuff. And then, Felt felt, you know, and do this and then be like, okay, let's, let's take a look at this. And so it was, and then they, you know, what they can find in the big book of coefficients, you know, we would, you know, you know, compare, you know, confirm, Hey, look, we did it. Um, This is really close. sort of. Right. Yes. Um, But if we were going to reframe that uh, to an AST type of, you know, supporting, you know, for this being yeah. um, all around collecting evidence to, to, you know, to support reasoning and, and claims. Right. Um, how do we do that? Yeah, well, that so I guess the tricky bit there is we've it's sort of backwards in that without a We're, phenomenon. Right. We and don't know. But, we don't know think, what to do. Right. So it, could, it would have to be a phenomenon that involves friction. Right. But I think that would probably be, there would be, I mean, friction is one of those things, right? That it's, a, it's an important part to study, right? I mean, friction is, it sure. plays, a, plays a role in a lot of things. Um, and we probably could, you know, identify a pretty cool, you know, important phenomenon that would happen that would, you know, that we could build a, a unit or build a thing around that. Cause I mean, fr- friction shows its face in lots of different areas and not just physics, but in other like fluids and sure. You know, For sure. You know. I mean, I think, I think the problem though is like one of the challenges of thinking about AST is um, the phenomenon is actually difficult to pick. Right. And it's difficult to pick because it has to serve many purposes. So it, it, it has to, allow for the opportunity for students to talk about the content that you're interested in. It has to be complex enough that there can be sort of multiple aspects of it investigated over time, but it can't be so complex that they can't understand the underlying science or the explanation because then they can't build it, right? Like um, it's just, it's just difficult. So one of my students, um, former students was trying to do a project around uh, nuclear chemistry and was trying to use the atomic bomb as, as the phenomenon. And, I think he struggled with it and, and we talked through a lot of that, but, but, um, but choosing the phenomenon is really difficult and yeah, friction appears in lots of places, but um, you don't like, you don't want to teach or you don't want friction to be the focus of a unit every time that it's relevant. So there's this funny, um, you know, tension of when you pick a phenomenon, you want a phenomenon that deals with the, 
with the content that you're interested in helping students work through, but, it, but you also within that are going to focus them on the things that you see as most important because every phenomenon, real phenomenon are complex and have lots sure. of pieces that you could talk about. Um, and so you have to make professional choices about which ones of those you want to focus on. So I guess from my point of view, it's easier to talk about, um, like, uh, a, um, like a, an existing, like a, an AST unit, and then talk about some of the labs that are in it okay. as a way of framing, you know, uh, how you might do that. I don't know if that so, makes sense. No, I, I, I get it. So it would be better if someone started with the phenomenon and then went to, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. And because of their experiences as a teacher, they have this wide array of, right. of labs and, you know, activities and whatever that mm. they've done. And they go, okay, I'm teaching this phenomenon. These are some of the ideas that have come up. I have this thing that I've done in this other unit or this other thing. Like, and then you go, oh, you know what? That inclined plane lab, if I just change you know, how the students do it or how I frame it or the questions that I ask, right. that this would be a really th good thing to bring in. Exactly. You know? Right. This, this would be that lab would then serve the purpose of helping sure. them engage with this one piece that I want them to understand something about momentum, obviously, if we're going to be, um, or probably, um, something about momentum or maybe acceleration, depending on if you're doing the inclined plane or whatever it is. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like the example that comes to mind is one that, that, um, we've been looking at recently in the, in the middle school I'm working on with working with, um, and they, they have, they're trying to help kids basically understand, um, physical and chemical change. And one of the pieces of that is, is like this idea that, um, things can combine. Um, so you, and when they combine, they create a new thing that has new properties and things can be broken apart. And when they break apart, it creates things that have new properties. Um, and so that's sort of the fundamentals of what a, what a chemical change is, like what a reaction is. So within that, um, I mean, the phenomenon that they use is burning sugar. So they basically just put sugar, um, on a hot plate, um, a pile of sugar and just turn the hot plate on. And, and then the question is, is that stuff that's left over after, after you've done this, is that sugar or not? Um, and that sounds really simple, but it turns out not so much, right? Especially for kids who don't actually understand right. chemical changes. Um, and then some of the, <clears throat> the phenomena that they use are labs that you would be familiar with, right? So one of them is uh, electrolysis of water. So we're just going to, we're going to set up some electrodes and we're going to split split water into hydrogen and oxygen. And then another one that they do that is a lab that you'd see in chemistry class a lot is the burning of steel wool or the, right. uh, and so, so they use these same labs that they've used before, but now the purpose of them has shifted. Sure. Right. So, so now they're trying to use those as a way to understand some fundamental principles they can apply to this burning sugar. Thing. Right. Cause like I typically the way that electrolysis lab is framed is like, okay, how much, Right. Ox oxygen right. do we get? How much hydrogen do we collect? Right. Okay. And can we confirm that it is oxygen, that it is hydrogen, right? right? And it's like, oh, look, we have twice as much hydrogen as right. we have oxygen. Look at we that. Confirmed H2O is, H2O. is, H2O. is the truth. Yeah. 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 Look at us, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I think that's a, a better way of, 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 you know, explaining it or, or demonstrating it, right? Is right. That, yeah. that, that, that because they're doing this other you know, phenomena, they're studying this other phenomena that we have these things that, you know, we might have in our, I don't want to say, you know, guidebook or, you know, right. 
or toolkit of experiences that we've used um, as chemistry teachers or physics teachers or whatever, that we go, okay, you know what? This is something that can help with this if we just reframe how we use it. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's fascinating to watch kids try and figure this out. It's actually fascinating to watch you know, my students, my pre-service teachers work through an explanation of what's happening with electrolysis. Cause even, right. you know, in most cases we're just like, oh yeah, well it just splits the, it just splits the molecules apart in that. And the oxygen goes over there and the hydrogen goes over there. And it's like, well, okay. So what's happening? Like describe to me one individual water molecule and what happens in there when you turn on the current. It's like, well, okay, that's more complicated. Yeah. And now, now it gets a lot messier and harder to explain. Um, and yeah, the, the lab then becomes for kids, um, a way to understand that the part of the reason we know H2O is the, is the chemical formula for water is because of this electrolysis experiment. Like the fact that the, the gases come out in that ratio was the original evidence for, for why this idea that there's twice as much hydrogen in water than there is oxygen. So, so it reverses, it turns on its head, this confirmatory lab where um, now they're, they're grappling with this idea of like, well, why is it that we get twice as much of this gas and than that gas? And these gases have different behaviors, right? They're, they're clearly different gases. So where does that come from? It's yeah. So it, it really is uh, as it sounds like a small change, but again, it's, it's a very big change in how kids interact with this material. So here, here, something else I'm thinking a little bit about as you're uh, unpacking this, because uh, you see this much more than I do, um, mm. is I wonder, and I think I know the answer, but I, I'm just kind of like setting you up for it. So great. You're doing yeah, so great. I am. Yeah. Um, how important is the order of these things? Like ordering right. these types of activities. And because I, I was, you know, mm. in, in a, uh, a colleague's class the other day, like working with some, some students with questioning and they were asking good questions, but they weren't always asking them in, in really thoughtful ways or right. thoughtful order. Right. right so right, right. like one of the students who, you know, they were leading a discussion and they came in with some questions to ask and the one student's best question was their last question. And I said, you know, if you would have started this whole discussion with that question, it would have been completely different. Like it would have like the, the whole discussion and how people involved and also like the direct, like, cause this last question was so rich. Um, and I wonder if that same sort of thing happens here, right? Whether mm-hmm. like the order of things matter. And I think I know the answer, but I, you know, I'm yeah. just kind of lobbying it to you. you know? Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. So great. So <laughs> um, yeah, I, of course. Yeah. The, the, um, the order matters. And I think the, the more subtle answer there is there's lots of ways it can matter. Right. So sure. one way is the teacher can use the kid's ideas to decide what the order is. So that, so the kids say, Hey, I've got this notion and I think this is a thing that happens. And then the teacher can say, Oh, well, let's test that tomorrow. We'll set up a lab to test your idea. And it turns out of course, that they have this lab in pocket already. They knew that it was coming because they, they know the sorts of ideas that kids are going to have about these things. So they're, they're predisposed to know what the activities are. But again, now now the kids are investigating this thing, and and they treat it as if, as if it's their investigation, which it is, right? And so the teacher can can shift and move those pieces around. That said, the other thing that you learn from doing this multiple times is um, there is a sequence that helps support student reasoning, right? So there are ways that 
you you do sort of need pieces at least in some cases that happen in a certain order you need to do this one before that one because they can't understand this this second one if they haven't done the first one right. now that's not always true often you can mix those things around because again these are just pieces of evidence and so the assembly is where all that comes together but um but yeah it's a good question and i think it's another reason why this requires both planning and improvisation in really powerful ways that make it, um, you know, again, a, a harder way to think about science teaching because you you do have to plan a lot. You have to have these activities to hand. You have to be responsive, but you also um, have to be able to improvise. And, and that can lead to lots of complications. Like one question is, our our teachers, our individual teachers, okay with different classes being in different places. Right. And doing we, talked different a little, we talked a little yeah. bit about that, about how, you know, you have to do some, you know, I call it bookkeeping, but record keeping in terms of, okay, period one's here, period three's here, and so on. Right. And, th- and that's something that honestly, I've, I was always, I always struggled with, you know, I'm, even now I struggle yep. with like keeping good notes in, in terms of where, where classes are, where we need to be. Um, I'm really good at planning, but I'm not as good as like yep. the after, you know, like sitting down and going, writing down right. like where folks are. Um, yeah. yeah, so I could see that being a challenge, but there's lots of challenges. And I don't, I, don't, I think sure. maybe we, sh- we should probably talk about that at some point because somebody's going to say, like, okay, I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have, you know, all right. the, you know, that harumph stuff, right? Yeah, harumph. That, that, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think we'll have another harumph episode coming yeah. up down the road. But I think that's, that is something that, you know, we do have to unpack and, and just to address it, you know, straight on and talk about different ways that, we can, you know, some suggestions we can give, sure. you know, if, if you were in a situation where you didn't have the time to, Hey, I don't have the time or my curriculum that's been approved by the district. You know, they say I have to go through like, you know, 10 miles of stuff, yep. you know, you know how do required I to do all this stuff? So how do I manage that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, or how do we advocate for that kind of change in our district so that we're not doing 10 miles of stuff, you know, yeah. like, like I went to open house for uh, my son the other day and I, I stopped and talked to one of the teachers and they're like, I, we need to get through all of this stuff so they yeah. can get to the next class where they have right. to get through all of this stuff. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, yeah. and it's the plotting through of, of content, you know? Yeah. And, I think we have a term for that a term of art, right? Okay. We have the, uh, the de- death march with fun sauce. Right? Death march with fun sauce, yeah, and that's so we'll we'll, spru- we'll spruce up this horrible death march with a few little labs where you get to like roll carts down ramps. Right, and it's the and but the this death march has a specific. We have to march through this because yeah. we have to get through the next to the net next place. Yes. To, so right. they can start their death march, right? Yes. And if we don't get far enough, they're not going to be ready to go. Yeah, they won't be ready to die in the next bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a horrible cycle that we've gotten ourselves into where we, we think that that's, that's the driver of, of what we're doing here is that this content must be covered. Yeah. And I think that when, and I I guess I'll, I'll cycle back to the inclusion thing. Like we're Mm -hmm. not making those practices do not make learning an inclusive process. What it does, it make, it makes it seem something that's being done to rather than being done with. Where, you know, yep, and the, and the person, sure. right. And so I think that, you know, I know it's a change in, in prepositions, but it's more than that, right? Mm, it, is, sure. it, is, it, is, it is around inclusion. It's saying that you have a role as a learner of this and, and that is 
not to be dismissed. Right. No, I mean, it says that you as a student have agency, you have power, Um, you are respected, you are trusted, you are considered a member of this community, um, and that it is a community, right? All of those things. So it it goes way beyond just like, okay, I'm just not going to do PowerPoints and bore the hell out of you. It's, it's a sense of like, we're in this together and, and I care about you. And I think that your ideas are important. And, um, you know, it says all of those things, right? I mean, all of this, all of this reconceptualizing of practice is, is, you know, ultimately really about the relationship between the teacher and the students. It's not even about the content. It's not, it, I mean, the content and the processes that kids learn, I think obviously are important and, and, and seeing these kids talk about science the way they do is, is profound and, 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 you know, amazing. That said, it is really about like how the teacher treats the children in their room and um, and how they treat specifically their ideas and their thinking. Right. And again, going back to a friend of the show, Brian Brown. Right. I mean, this is <laughs> the fundamental piece of what he's talking about is that there is a sense of respect for the linguistic um, history and experience of the kids that are in your class. And if you can't do that on some fundamental level, then then you know, what is your relationship with your kids really about? Yeah. It's about, about command, control, sit in your seat, be quiet, attend to me because I'm the most important person. You know, I don't want to hear your thinking unless you're answering my specific questions. Like it's a really dehumanizing experience in many respects. Yeah. That's, I, I think we're, we're kind of getting in a depressing dark, zone. Dark. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> But, but this, I think, you know, it's a good transition. It's a good transition. We, yes. But before we transition <laughs> to joys, I'm happy to do that. But I do want to say, like, I think, yeah, it's depressing. But I, you know, for me, I think it's important to say these things because I think teachers need to recognize that it's not just like uh, that the choice to not engage in these kinds of teaching is not just a stylistic choice. Right. right. It is a it is a much more profound choice than that. It is a moral and ethical um, choice that you are making about the children in your classroom. And if you make it about that's just not my style, I can't do that because it, you know, then what you're really doing is abdicating your own agency and saying, well, you know, I'm just going to continue to do this thing. And so I think pointing to people and saying you need to understand that what you're doing has consequences beyond just. Um, you know, that your work may be a little easier, a little harder. It has consequences for the kids in your classroom. It has consequences for us as a society. So I think, you know, it's, it's worth, you know, poking people a little bit about that, even if it's depressing. Poke. Poke. Consider, you, consider yourself poked if this is relevant to you. If not, <laughs> then don't worry about it. And we'll yeah. talk about joys. Let's talk about joys. Yeah. I, I want to start by uh, with the with the joys with something I, I I heard in a podcast recently that's just been like Ooh. buzzing around in my head. This is not my joy, although it could be my joy, but it's not my oh. joy. Oh, um, so it was an episode of Ten uh, Percent Happier, and oh. uh, where, where they had someone talking about uh, self actualization, which is hard to say. Yeah. self actualization. <laughs> there you and go. They nailed it. Nailed it. Try attempt <laughs> number two. Um, but they were talking about Maslow, right? And I guess oh. there was a Maslow quote, and I, this is the this is the thing that's been buzzing around my head. Oh wait, Find do it, you want to give five seconds about who Maslow is? Or uh, well, I'm okay. So this is uh, um, 
What's Maslow's first name? Um, I don't know. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Needs. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this is something that's really been, I think it's made a resurgence in people's, you know, everyday conversation over the last year because the pandemic has really, you know, identified that there's been some problems with, you know, this is like, if you've taken an ed psych class, this is the, you know, in mm -hmm. order to be in a, a state of learning, you know, there's these needs that need to be met. And the highest need is this idea of self-actualization mm -hmm. and um the, the 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 basic needs are things like food and shelter and and so on and and then yeah. it's like accepting you can move up the the the, the different levels of needs and he does present yeah. them as different hierarchy yeah. hierarchy of needs um and that you have to have you know the level one needs before you get to the level two needs and mm. you know you know and sort of like that but i mean i, yeah. I think that's again you know while we pro I would probably cringe a little bit at the level hierarchy thing, but I think the overall concept is is valid um, and, and warrants a lot of conversation. But anyway, the quote that I think that was shared in this podcast has been buzzing around my head is finding the miraculous in the everyday. Mm. You know, and I'm just like, yeah, that's yummy. And, yeah, and I think that's, that's what, nice we, what, what we try to do with these joys, right, is mm -hmm. that we try to find something that's bringing us joy the, that miraculous thing that has brought us joy even though it might be something every day um and for me lately it's been reservation dogs are you familiar with this no all right so this is it's a uh new series that's on uh fx and you can watch it on hulu uh like if you have hulu you can watch it and stream it um and it's set in in like wyoming or colorado on a reservation and it's about kids growing up uh indigenous folks growing up in this small town in in the west and they're like teenagers and the great thing is it all has an almost entire indigenous cast it has an entire indigenous writing group um taiko watiti who who, like, if you're familiar with right who is himself i i think he's um He's like New Zealander, um, but he's mm -hmm. ha he comes from an indigenous background himself. Um, he's the you know the director for things like Jojo Rabbit and Hunt for the Wilder People and so on. Um, if you're not familiar with those, go check those out because they're awesome. And that was one of the reasons why we started watching this because our, our me and our family were big Taiko Watiti fans. Um, and it's really endearing and really um, it's also challenging at sometimes, and you know, challenging because you see some of the um, difficulties that these kids have grown up, and it's like these kids are like they're trying to be like gangsters, right? So that's where the re like the reservoir uh, dogs thing, like yep, they're trying yep. to be a little bit like, and they're just four kids, they're like teenagers, you know. I think the ones like maybe thirteen or fourteen years old, um, and it's about them navigating life in you know in 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 this town, and it's pretty cool and it's also pretty heartbreaking at times yeah. um but it's it's joyful um nice. yeah reservation right. dogs like it yeah All right. and i'll and I'll, I'll add on to your uh finding the miraculous in the everyday and say on some level i think that's the way i think about ast is that really what you're trying to do is help kids understand the miraculous oh. in their everyday like you're Let's saying see. like all this stuff that you know like you think burning sugar is just burning sugar whoa it turns out 
burning sugar is a way to understand like a whole bunch of things about the way the world works. So, um, so I like, I like that. It's a nice, it's a nice, uh, it's going to buzz around your head. Yeah. You know, that's going to buzz around my head. Yep. And, uh, and I'll, and I'll go with a bittersweet joy as well, because, um, as you said, I was traveling, I was, I was, uh, in Ireland for a few days and, um, I, I had the joy of living in Ireland, uh, for a year, uh, back in 2012, 2013, which was amazing. And, um, while I was there, I got to hang out with some friends and one of my friends both recommended and then, uh, watched with me, uh, part of the first episode of a series on Netflix called afterlife. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it, it sounds in many respects, uh, similar to reservation dogs in that it's a very, um, sort of, uh, bittersweet. Um, I don't know what the right way to describe it is. Um, and, uh, now because my brain doesn't work the way it used to, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember the lead actor's name and I just had it in my head and it went away, but he's the, you'll help me. So he's the the lead from the, from the British version of the office. Um, and he's a standup and also does like award shows. Oh my gosh. Anyway, this is terrible that I can't even remember. I, oh, Ricky Gervais. Holy Ricky, cow. Yeah. Boy, the brain, the brain. So, um, so Afterlife is, um, it's a show about him. Um, he works at this sort of small town newspaper in England and his wife dies sort of suddenly of cancer in a very short period of time. And as a result, he's incredibly depressed. And so the show is about him sort of grappling with this in the way that that only Ricky Gervais can, in the sense that he's like both funny um, and cutting and self-loathing. But it's it, it's it's just an amazing mix. It's not. I want to be clear. It isn't really a happy show. Um, there are moments of comedy and um, levity in it. Um, but it's really, it's really about grappling with the human condition and in particular, um, our relationships with other people and specifically key other people in our, on our lives and what they mean to us and how we, how we function both with them and without them. Um, and it's about grief. So it's, but it's a lovely show. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's short. Um, but it, it's, it's, yeah, it's very Ricky Gervais and he does a fabulous job in the, in the lead role. So, and the, the supporting cast is great too. Um, but yeah, it's not, it sounds similar to reservation dogs in that it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of sort of sadness and, and heartstring pulling. Right. Um, but it's also but, got some really funny moments. Well, I mean, that's what I, I'm listening to you describe afterlife and I'm thinking there is a lot of like, you know, crossover because it, there is, the, the show, and I didn't talk about this, but the show is built around one of the kids. Like, and you find this out in like maybe episode one or two, one of the kids commits suicide. And, mm. and so there's this grief, this, this palpable grief that exists around all the people who interacted with this kid. Um, and, but it's also, there's some levity to that too, because they're trying to go about their lives, but they're also really mournful over the fact they've lost somebody who was really important to them. Yeah. And, and so, um, and some of the characters are just, you know, just like 
uh, if you've seen Jojo Rabbit, like there's some like characters that just show up in Jojo Rabbit that are like yeah. not really there. There are the same sort of things that are like, like you know, Hitler, it, for example. Right. But, th- but that's what happens here, too. There's an oh, ongoing okay. character who, you know, who's a spirit, right? Who's a spirit who comes uh, and talks to the, you know, some of the characters. Um, and it's just, it, it's, it creates that levity in, in a really difficult um, show that sometimes it, it tugs at your heartstrings. And so I think that yeah. there is a cross section there. There is something that like both of these uh, shows have in common and maybe it's just the, you know, where we are right now, you know? Yeah. I think that's right. I think we're, we're at a place where these shows are important um, because I think we are all sort of grieving right now. Right. Um, yeah. So whether, whether we actually lost people or not, there's, there's a sense of grief, right? Mm. Yeah. Wow, I feel I feel wow, bad about leaving it right super there. Super joyful hey, finish. But, well, let's just say as you go about your your life, you know, till mm. till next time, mm. make sure you find the miraculous in the everyday. So that'll be the yes. thing that you know. Look for those. Look for those moments, yep. and you'll find them. You know, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. Well, with right. that, we'll see you next time. See you next time in between. See you then. Bye now.